this was just something that I then told myself that, you know what, enough is enough. Something really needs to change. And hence, it's not going to be changed from living in the diaspora or living in migration, but it's something that needs to be changed back home. And that's how I ended up coming back to Zimbabwe. Stick your neck out. The weekly podcast of the Giraffe Heroes Foundation. In 1980, Bob Marley, one of the most politically and socially influential musicians of his time, was invited to perform at the festivities for the birth of independent Zimbabwe. Robert Mugabe was newly elected president. Today, 40 years after Bob Marley sang this song at the stage at Rufaro Stadium in Harare, when people in Zimbabwe talk or think about LGBTQI community, this is how it sounds like. Sinners. They are worse than dogs and pigs. Stone them. They are sick. They need to be cured. I am lesbian. I was raped by a friend. He wanted to change me. Most gays and lesbians in Zimbabwe have to hide their sexual identity. Discrimination, exclusion and violent attacks against them cause permanent fear and loneliness. Dear listeners, welcome to Stick Your Neck Out, the podcast to restore your faith in humanity. I'm really glad to introduce you today, Trevor Molife. Trevor is the founder of Purple Hunt Africa, a safe space for LGBTQI youth in Zimbabwe. His vision is that LGBTQI youth are empowered and society will recognize them as contributing citizens. Trevor, welcome to our podcast. Thank you, Ampia. Trevor. Zimbabwean President Robert Mugabe declared at the UN 17th General Assembly that Africans were not gay. He was, I think, the first person to castigate the LGBTQI community. Do you know how was life for the LGBTQI community before Mugabe was in charge? Well, I don't have much knowledge about that, but from history, it's quite interesting to note that it seems like LGBTIQ people were quite revered in the African society because most of them were actually seen as mediums that could communicate between the creator and the people themselves. And like in African culture in general, they also believe that people are, that there's some ancestors that bestow themselves on some living people. And some of these people that they believed that had those spirits were actually LGBTIQ people and they could actually help people, they could actually heal people. And in most cases, they were quite revered and it was quite something that was seen as normal back in the days. That was before colonial times, that was before religion was brought into, was brought into play as well. Mm. Mugabe is now gone, he passed away last year, and since November 2017, his successor, Emerson Nangawa, is president of Zimbabwe. Is the current president less homophobic? In a way, well, I can say he's sort of like 
allowing for there to be discussions about LGBTIQ people. But uh, the sad thing is that the only discussion that people are having about LGBTIQ people, they're not really mentioning lesbians, gays, or bisexuals, but they're referring to us as men who have sex with men, of which my identity is not just about sex. There is more to me as a gay person. Yes, of course. And they only talk about MSM people in terms of health, uh, in terms of health uh, provisions, of which, yes, it is okay because they want the donations from the Global Fund. But there is more to me compared to just sex. At the end of the day, an LGBTIQ person also needs a livelihood. An LGBTIQ person also lives in a society whereby they face quite a lot of intolerance and they need a better mind- mindset well-being. And there also needs to be education that can also be given to other people about the existence of LGBTIQ people. Because in a sense, as Mugabe said, it is an African to be LGBTIQ. So most of the people actually believe that it is an African to be LGBTIQ. And it's quite interesting. Like last week, we also went to visit some rural areas within Zimbabwe. And a friend of mine was asking me, was quite shocked that there are also transgender people in the rural setup of which it's <laughs> 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 quite funny because it's yeah, quite because ignorant. you can expect <laughs> as much as you can expect to find a human being in any setup. You can also expect to find an LGBTIQ person in any setup, but it's just unfortunate that within our country we are not so free to come out as who we are, as the real person that we are, because there's just so much stigma associated with being lesbian, gay, or bisexual. And that leads exactly to my next question. How is living in Zimbabwe not following heteronormativity, but forming part of the LGBTQI community? Mm, I must admit that to some extent, it's also kind of scary in a way, Because you don't know the next time that you're going to be attacked as someone who's not conforming to what society expects as being the norm. And it's also interesting that this morning I was also having a discussion with one of my colleagues and she was just telling me how much uh, her sister's boyfriend was also talking about how he hates LGBTIQ people and how he was saying that he can easily beat anyone for being gay. And last week in one of our interviews in the rural community where I was meeting one of the trans men that we sort of were interviewing, uh, he was also telling me that in the rural setup, like families actually organize for trans men to be raped by men so that they end up forcing them into hetero heterosexual marriages of which these marriages don't really work out at the end of the day because you're not really living out your truth of course not and in most cases you find that people actually end up committing suicide because they are not able to live their true lives but for yeah and for myself it's also been quite a struggle as well because Lucky enough with my siblings my siblings are sort of getting to that point whereby they can accept me for who I am. But unfortunately, you find that with your parents, your parents have other dreams for you and they still expect you to bring in, to bring a daughter-in-law, whereas you actually prefer to bring a son-in-law. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. 
No, and and I mean, so, of course, you are right. Uh, you suppose, I mean, everyone is supposed to think that your family is going to accept you the way you are. So, since you just mentioned it, how was the moment when you say to your family, "Okay, I'm gay"? Okay, uh, it's quite sad because when I say that I'm gay, my mom, you know, my mother is, comes from a strict Christian background, and from childhood. She was always told that anyone who's gay or lesbian, they're doomed for hell and they're sinners. So up until now, it's still a struggle for her to also come to terms with the son that she loves being gay and not being able to live according to what society expects. And, you know, like one another thing that I've also noticed within our societies is that we do not live as one firmly in isolation, but there's a community surrounding us. And you find that our parents always worry about what the society is going to say about their child. Mm. Yet at the end of the day, the child is actually happy being in a same-sex relationship, which is normal. not really acceptable. And this is my normal, but it's not their normal. Yeah. So, yeah. Well... Christianity is the most dominant religion in, in Zimbabwe. Is, is because of that that your family reacted this way? Is because this influence from their religion? Yeah, more than 80, I think more than 83% of the population in Zimbabwe is Christian. Mm -hmm. And this is mostly your Protestant Christians, the ones that do not really conform to, the ones that do not really accept LGBTIQ within their denominations. And... As you know, like, fortunately, in our neighboring country, South Africa, they now accept same-sex marriages. And, uh, okay, I've also been fortunate enough to also live in both countries at some point. And uh, being a Christian myself, I've also been able to even go to some Christian meetups whereby there are same-sex people, LGBTIQ people, meeting together and talking about uh, being Christian and actually being accepted within the Christian re religion itself. But unfortunately, in Zimbabwe, that is something that's not talked about at all. And if you go to church, expect yourself to have someone praying over you and trying to exercise you because they need to get the gay demon out of you. Oh, God. So, so, oh, my God. So if you believe in a higher power and you go to the church, you have to expect to be, like, demonized. Here, my question. Do you believe in a higher power? Well, personally, because of all this controversy and all that, uh, like one thing that I've always believed in, I embrace all kinds of religions. And the reason why I embrace all kinds of religions is that when it comes to religions, what they talk about is love. And hence, what matters to me is loving the next person in as much as you love yourself. And this actually makes the world a better place. So to me, it's not really about belonging to one religion. I actually do not belong to one religion, but I belong to love. Mm. That's what I believe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned before, when it comes to death by suicide, Zimbabwe scores place 13 worldwide. Most of the people committing suicide are, as you once said, LGBTQI. What are the penalties for having a consensual sexual relationship with somebody of the same gender? Okay, according to the constitution, it is quite tricky in a way because it is not really a crime for one to be gay or lesbian. 
but the criminal offense comes whereby someone has anal sex, which is according to the sodomy law. And according to the sodomy law, you, from what I read, it's more like uh, you can be charged uh, for to be in prison for about five years or so, or you can be made to pay a fine of about five thousand US dollars. And this is impossible, especially in our kind of economy that we're living in. And I'm not so sure if you're also familiar with uh, the Zimbabwean history. Like the very first president of Zimbabwe before Mugabe was Sodindo Banana. That was his name. He was actually arrested for sod- under the sodomy law as well at some point. So, and the thing is, even though it's not really a crime to be gay or lesbian, but just because... People just believe that it is a crime. Hence, the police can even arrest you for being gay and harass you for being gay or lesbian. But at the end of the day, they can't charge you for it. Let's talk about Purple Hunt Africa. What are you trying to achieve in Zimbabwe? Okay, uh, when I came back from Kantari, I remember I spoke about a rainbow journey of empowerment, which was sort of related to all the colors of the rainbow flag. And uh, this is red, which is basically talking about activism. And this is something that we also in the space trying to do as much as we can. Because, uh, but, okay, let me bring it back to what we are mainly focusing on <laughs> <Yeah>. now. <laughs> because what? We, can, we, can go to the, we can go to the rainbow later. Yeah, we can go to the <laughs> rainbow later. <laughs> so the thing is, since I came back, like one thing that I noticed was that for us to be able to get to the point whereby we become contributing citizens, we need to have a healthy mental well-being for us to then be able to focus on the rest of the other things. So as Purple Hand Africa, we're mostly focusing on mental wellness programs. And this we are doing through expressive art workshops, whereby we come together as the LGBTIQ community, and we sort of express ourselves, express our hopes, as well as even our challenges through art. And I'm not working with only one organization, but I'm working with all of the other LGBTIQ organizations in the country. And we sort of traveling from town to town within the country. And in these meetups that we have, we are able to, some people actually get to that point whereby they are also able to share some of the traumatic experiences that they've experienced in their lives as being LGBTIQ people. The other time we even had one LGBTIQ person who shared about how he cuts himself because of the pain that he gets to go through by not being accepted by his parents because he's LGBTIQ. And it's in such camps, you're able to revisit your pain and you're also able to share with the other people in the community. And hence, there's that family that that family setup that is created for you. And some of the people actually, especially people coming from the rural areas, they're not really exposed to being around other LGBTIQ people. And so the, it's more of an aha moment whereby they get to realize that, you know what, I'm not the only one. And at the end of the day, my challenge is I'm able to find help through another person or through another organization. And at the end of the day, within are able to also come together as the LGBTIQ community in those camps, whereby they are now able to produce audiovisual campaigns that talk to some of their challenges that address issues of, let's say, police brutality. 
that address issues of not being able to find jobs because of their sexuality or because of their gender gender representation something like that so it's difficult it's difficult for you like being openly LGBTQI is difficult for you to get a job and you can get trouble. It is very difficult, especially, especially let's say someone who is okay, someone who has a gender marker of being of being female, but in a way they do not identify with that gender. They identify with another gender. Like if they have to go for an interview, you whenever they go dressed like the other gender, then that's a problem. Someone is not going to be able to get a job because of that, despite having qualifications. But unfortunately, then they're not going to be able to get a job. But in other cases, let's say someone might be able to actually get into the job. But the moment that they're going to be found out that they're lesbian or gay or bisexual, then it's very easy for them to lose that job because they are not going to be treated fairly in the workplace and they are not really protected. Our laws do not protect us for being for being another gender. So it's really difficult to get a proper livelihood as an LGBTIQ person. And hence that also comes to the second aspect whereby Purple Hand Africa is also providing livelihood trainings. For example, the last time we were doing a chicken project and with the current tough economic situations that we have in Zimbabwe, it is not, red meat is quite expensive, I must admit. And so the next option to that would be chickens. So basically, we sort of uh, raising chickens for resale for people to have in their meals. And we're also trying to also have a poultry project whereby we can also be able to, to sell the eggs so that at least this, is, this becomes more of an income generating project for the beneficiaries themselves. At least with the chicken project, then uh, they're able to work together as a team of LGBTIQ people. And we always try to bring the whole rainbow to work together because I believe that then we also need to learn about each other. Yes, of course. Definitely. Because, mm -hmm. yeah, it's more of a journey. We all need to understand about each other. And hence, when we also work together, we are also able to become a much stronger and confident community ourselves. Totally. And the interesting thing is that with the last chicken project we had, Like with the profits that we had, we actually distributed them amongst the beneficiaries we were working with. And one of them actually managed to buy equipment for photography because she's into photography and hence she's now taking it as a career choice for herself. So, uh, great. Yeah. Okay, great. So in Purple Hunt Africa, you are like Bob Marley once said, really fighting for your rights. How do you assess this fight? Okay, uh, so basically with us, as I said, it's more of we mostly work with various organizations and we're just trying to fill in the gaps that might be there within the sector. So, okay, at present, besides the community art workshops and uh, the Chicken Project, uh, we're also trying to humanize our LGBTIQ stories. So hence, we're also traveling from town to town and we're also taking sort of like short clips of stories that humanize the LGBTIQ community itself, whereby LGBTIQ people are talking about even their relationships they've had 
Interesting enough, the other time we're also talking about a trans relationship that has been in existence for about 10 years now. And they've been talking about the struggles that they went through. So basically just trying to show the whole community that, you know what, I might be gay, I might be lesbian, but at the end of the day, I'm also human just like you. I go through the same challenges as anyone else. And even though my challenges might be harder, but still I'm able to conquer some of the some of the challenges and just trying to get people to just sympathize with the community and not just sympathize with the community alone, but to also see that we are also equally capable of bringing about a change to community in as much as anyone else. Yeah, that sounds great. And how does the society react towards <laughs> the organization, towards you? Okay, interesting enough. Uh, like, we've received some negative backlash <laughs> from our activities Because I remember even on one of the social medias, like, I think that was on Twitter, when someone was writing and he was tagging Purple Hand and saying that, you know what, we are a Christian nation. And hence, at the end of the day, we do not want to talk about gays and lesbians. We want to talk about other issues that are important to the nation. Yet, at the end of the day, human rights are much more important than anything else. <laughs> That's what I believe. Of and then... Uh, of course. I mean, you can have a nation if you don't have uh, human rights. That's true. Because at the end of the day, it is the humans that bring about development of a nation. And hence, if you do not Definitely. protect your own, human, your, your own human rights, then you're bound not to win in anything that you will be trying. But in the same instance, it, also, it is also quite interesting because we've also had to interact with some of the mainstream society, with some of the heterosexuals in the community. And like uh, starting from this year, we've also started to include a small number of straight people in some of our programming. And by them interacting with us, there's that better integration and we are also now able to create some allies for the community. Some people that are also now able to go out and also voice out about the community itself. And interesting enough, like uh, one of my relatives was quite homophobic before. We even called me an abomination at some point. But we managed to invite him for one of our camps. And after the camp, I remember he was watching one of the videos I was editing And I think I said LGBT and he was like, okay, now where's the Q? <laughs> Which means now he's more <laughs> sensitized. He now knows about <laughs> queer people as well. And it's, it's something that actually brings a smile and that gives us hope whereby you are able to bring in people to learn about the community itself and for them to also understand more that, you know what, you are not recruited to be LGBTIQ. You are born that way. And hence, it is not something that is contagious. Yeah. So yeah, that's right. then that's right. we can all live as one, as one people, you get it. Yeah. yeah. How do you manage to spread the word among the LGTBQI? Because I think there should be a lot of people out there who doesn't, who doesn't show up, who, who are scared also to, to be seen in a meeting with you guys, for example. How is the reaction inside the group? with people that are not out of the closet. Okay, uh, so what we do is that we also, like, whenever we meet up in our groups, you know, there's, we try to create a safe space because we always try to research about each and every one before we get them into our space. And we also try to work with other organizations so that at least there's also that referral point. But still, within those spaces, you know, we take photos, we take videos, and because we also want to spread word, But unfortunately, for some of the people that are out of the closet, 
we always try to blur out their 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 visuals as well as maybe distort some of their voices because we believe that it is a journey for one to be able to then finally come out and we are not going to be the ones to force someone out of the closet because it might even have their consequences but then whenever we meet up we always try to do it in a safe space whereby it is only us or our allies that are within those spaces mm-hmm. okay okay that's great if you are sitting in zimbabwe why do you call yourself purple hand africa and not purple hand zimbabwe i can't remember the year exactly but i think it was in the 1950s mm-hmm. i think so in san francisco when there was a publication company which was writing negative reports about the LGBTIQ community and hence the LGBTIQ community came together to protest against this newspaper company and as they were protesting the employees of this newspaper company I think it was the Telegraph no? it was the Telegraph yes the employees of the Telegraph then went to the top of their building and they poured purple ink onto the protesters and the lgbtiq people that were protesting actually used this ink to paste their their head marks everywhere which then became a mark of lgbtiq liberation sort of so this is the same hand that i need to have in zimbabwe but not only zimbabwe because i i'm sure you've also had the term that it is an african to be gay and hence this is the same hand that we also want to have all over the african continent and hence purple hand africa even though we might be operating in zimbabwe but interesting enough we also have networks that we are also working with across the continent actually and we are always constantly exchanging ideas and hence this is the hand that we need on the rest of africa because we cannot do it on our own but we can do it together yeah Yeah, uh, right. Now you are up to talk about your rainbow journey of empowerment. Wow. <laughs> What is this about? Okay. Uh so basically the rainbow journey of empowerment. Okay, I'm going to take you through the colors of the rainbow. Firstly, it's red and red that is a symbol of life. And hence when we talk about life, this would be activism. This is activism in itself. whereby we post our videos of our activism or by we are speaking against the police brutality that is being given to the LGBTQ people or by we're speaking against discrimination whereby we're just getting our voices heard and then we talk about orange orange is a sign of healing and that's where we're now talking about our expressive writing camps as well as our community art workshops whereby we're using art as a healing tool art is a tool whereby people are now able to express themselves as well as show out the vibrancy of the community itself and then we move on to yellow yellow is more of your aha moment those are our livelihood projects whereby we are able to outshine ourselves whereby we are able to show that you might not give me employment but at the end of the day I'm going to create employment that is also going to be able to employ you as well and provide whatever it is that you need and then uh we move on to blue is more about harmony okay i actually skipped green but i'll come back to green <laughs> so blue is more about harmony so that's more for our integration part whereby we believe that we are not going to be able to change mindsets if we work alone as a lgbt community but we also need to include everyone within the struggle so that at least we are able to understand each other and work together towards the main goal and then when it comes to green green that is nature as you can see like most of our things that we try to do we try to do it including nature itself because 
we also need to be conscious of the green surrounding us. I hope that explains itself. <laughs> and it also speaks about inclusion itself. That's what I believe when we talk about green. And then purple, purple basically represents spirit. It's the hand. It's also your hand. <laughs> yes. And then, yeah, the hand itself. Purple Hand Africa is a um, really new no uh, movement. You started the initiative just two years ago, I guess, as for 2018. How has Purple Hand Africa influenced the way people see the LGBTQI community in Zimbabwe? <sighs> Interesting enough, it's sort of starting to humanize the LGBTIQ narrative. It is moving away from just sexualizing our sexualities as well as sexualizing our identity, but it is sort of bringing a human face to the whole LGBTIQ spectrum. And it is also trying to show that we are more than just sex. At the end of the day, we are also humans. Have you also reached any positive change throughout Africa? Is it known across borders or are There may be LGBTQI communities from other countries being inspired by what you are doing. Okay, uh, fortunately, last year we were fortunate enough to also be invited to the ICPD, which was sort of like an international conference that they had in Nairobi. It was the Nairobi Summit. And uh, we also managed to sit down and also speak about some of the challenges that the LGBTIQ community is going through and how we can also be able to fight gender-based violence as not working in silos, but also working together with the LGBTIQ community as well as working together with women and everyone else. And uh, we've also been part of some of the regional conferences, for example, what we call Copano, whereby we meet together as the LGBTIQ organizations from across Southern Africa. It's not just a conference where people just come to, co to talk about the challenges that they're experiencing, but it's a It's a meetup whereby we also come up with solutions as well as finding out ways in which you can be able to work together across borders. And this has been very helpful because in a way we're also now able to exchange ideas across borders and we're now able to even work together towards ending some of the discrimination as well as doing even some of the publications that just talk about LGBTIQ lives within Africa. I understand. Are you also cooperating with uh, the group Gays and Lesbians of Zimbabwe, GALS? I remember they had some troubles back in 2013. Are you cooperating with them or any other organizations in Zimbabwe? All right. Interesting enough, uh, we're also working with Gays and Lesbians of Zimbabwe. And in a way, we are providing some of our uh, interventions to some of the GALS members. You know, this is... <laughs> I'm sorry, this is quite difficult to explain. <laughs> yeah, Get a shot. Get a shot. Okay, we have a memorandum of understanding with GAUS. So basically, GAUS is more of the bigger organization for LGBTIQ people within Zimbabwe. And most of their work nowadays is mostly focusing on advocacy work, right? So we are now coming in with the mental wellness provision for their projects as well. So that's how we are in cooperation with uh, GAUS. Okay, I understand. Is your organization recognized? Like, can you operate, let's say, officially? Yes, we are operating officially, but we managed to do this by registering as a trust, as a trust organization. Even when we registered, it was also a bit difficult for us to put in the words 
LGBT, to put in LGBTIQ or to even mention that we are supporting people that are in same-sex same sex relationships. But unfortunately, we had to use the term sexual and gender minorities. That was the, unfortunately, that was the only palatable terming that they preferred for us to use. But at the end of the day, this is what we provide for. And unfortunately, it feels like with most of the organizations that are also working with LGBTIQ people, they are only referred to as organizations that are working with key population, whereby they are only relating it to HIV and AIDS. Whereas that's what I'm always trying to hint on that, you know what, they should stop sexualizing us, but <laughs> they should humanize us and they should also recognize us for being gay, for being lesbian, for being bisexual, for being trans. We just want to be realized as equal human beings. Trevor, at some point in your career, you said that NGOs who deal with the topic of LGBTQI in Zimbabwe have HIV as their central focus. But you'd like to go beyond that. Where exactly do you want to go? Okay, what we want to achieve is, okay, firstly, we need to improve the mental well-being of LGBTIQ people because throughout all these challenges, you find that there's a lot of psychosocial trauma that one gets to go through. But then at the end of the day, the solution also lies with us. And hence, that's what Purple Hand Africa is trying to push for, that you know what, you might have your challenges, but it's always important for you to realize the challenges. But at the end of the day, realize that you are the one who has the solution to any of the challenges that you're facing. And at the end of the day, you are also able to become a contributing member of society. And after becoming a contributing member of society, then you're also able to change mindsets of people surrounding you. And hence, This also helps to kill the homophobia that is within the societies, as well as just get people to just take us as equal human beings. Mm. Truth is that despite advances in the world, LGBTQI people still lack the most fundamental human rights in many places. Something has to change, I think. Can you, can you point that out again to make it clear to all of those, I would dare to say almost all of us who mostly grew up known heteronormativity as what's supposed to be like right and normal what has to change what has to change is for okay firstly it has to start with myself as the gay person right or as a lesbian person realizing that you know what i'm not okay at the end of the day my sexuality or my gender identity doesn't have to define how far i have to go in life and for me to be able to bring about a change in mindset as well as a change in what the society thinks and their stereotypes, I'm the one who has to bring about that change at the beginning. And hence, I also need to achieve as much as the next person can achieve in life. And I also need to bring about a change to my situation by being a voice of change, by being that agent of change and not just sitting back and just being afraid of being attacked by the next person, but I'm much more stronger as the person that I am. And I'm much more stronger representing my people in my sexuality or gender identity as being stronger than what society expects. Hmm. Do you think that in the black community, having a different sexual orientation as the so-called double quotation marks normal is more stigmatized than in the white community? Hmm. 
I want to go politically. Unfortunately, <laughs> I can see that. <laughs> Unfortunately, a white privilege always exists. I don't want to lie. And you find that with white privilege, there's a bit more of exposure to different sexualities, exposure to a different higher education. Not that it's only education that matters for one person to be able to understand the next. But just because of also their economic power, then you find that as long as you have an upper hand economically, people will always look at you differently and people will always treat you with a better respect than if you're someone who is from the marginalized community. And unfortunately, when it comes to Africans, we've been marginalized by our history, by the colonization that happened within our continents, whereby we are not going to be able to be at par with the white community, unfortunately, despite coming from the same countries. And hence, at the end of the day, an LGBTIQ person from an African setup, just because they have a lesser education, just because they also come from a community that has been very much indoctrinated by religion, then they are bound to face more challenges compared to someone who's coming from a white community, someone who's able to even move out of the country and move to another country elsewhere whereby they are going to be accepted. But unfortunately for a black African, it is just, it is also difficult for, for us to be able to even migrate at the end of the day. So the challenges are much more, they're tripled, I can say compared to anyone else. Wouldn't you say that maybe a big part of the problem is that the homophobia of the black community is not being discussed and dealt with? Yes, unfortunately, it feels like when it comes to the homophobia within the black community, this is something that's not spoken about. This is something that is ignored and sort of swept under the carpet. And hence, we do not talk about it. We know that it is it exists, but at the end of the day, we do not talk about it. It is there in families, but families do not want to accept that we have LGBTIQ family members as well. And instead, they hide by disowning their own as well, or even communities killing one of their own. So I think it's something that we actually need to start discussing and start to talk about is something that is normal, something that is in existence within our communities. You are totally right. That's exactly the point. And you mentioned just now um, two key words, community and family. Let's talk a bit more about you and your background. How does your family take the news when you got out of the closet? <sighs> okay, I can start by how I came out. It was quite dramatic <laughs> because I actually came out on a WhatsApp status. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Like I'd been, I'd been feeling so caged. So what I ended up doing was that I just posted the rainbow flag and then I said, well, proudly gay, this is who I am. Deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> and so after I came out in such a way, My sister's husband was the first one to see it. And then, yeah, it spread out throughout the whole family. And it was towards the festive season. And those days I was still staying in South Africa. So I was supposed to come home for the Christmas holidays. But unfortunately, because of my bold move, <laughs> my sister then called me and told me that, you know what? I think if you're wise enough, don't come home for Christmas 
because if you do, you're going to be in trouble. And then, so that's when I then found out that, okay, after what had happened, because uh, my siblings are sort of, they're based in Europe. So they came to Africa for the holidays. And when they came, it sort of became a topic of discussion about my sexuality. And unfortunately, with my mom, it's something that that's always been difficult for her to deal with. And from what I had, she even cried. But even though she knows, and I know that she knows, this is something that we hardly talk about. Okay. But it's something that she always tries to scrap about by always asking me when I'm going to introduce my girlfriend and why I do not even introduce female friends to her, which is quite unfortunate, but that's the reality. How do you cope with it? <laughs> okay, intro. <laughs> Interesting enough, it feels like I come out every day. <laughs> and, and despite coming out those years back, but last week I remember I had a conversation. Mostly the people that I'm much more comfortable having that conversation with are my siblings. But when it comes to my mother, it's one of those things that we hardly talk about. So funny enough, last week when I was talking to my sister, like she... She had also been telling me about some of the challenges that she's been facing and all that. And I was just like, you know what? But when it comes to me, it feels like I do not really talk about everything with you. And well, maybe I just have to tell you as it is. I have a boyfriend at the moment and my boyfriend is A, B and C. And these are the challenges that we've been facing and all that. And interesting enough, she then made a group call, <laughs> which included my mom and it. You're lucky then. <laughs> and when she was talking, she was just like, you know what? Like, I believe that you do not have to treat someone differently because of their sexuality. And if you love someone, you should just accept them for who they are. And the only answer that was coming from my mom and my other sister was just, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was it. No words came out of it. <laughs> so I can say it's still it's still, it's still a journey. It's still difficult. What kept you going? And what it's what, still a journey. What what gives you strength? Uh, what gives me strength is whereby I work with the community and I get to see a difference in someone's life. Like at the end of the day, just seeing someone being able to accept themselves for who they are. Or them coming to me and telling me that, you know what, actually through that session I was able to discover that I am gay and this is who I am. And at the end of the day, I'm just learning to accept myself as I am. I'm no longer suicidal. And especially when it comes to the issues of suicide, by reducing the rate of LGBTIQ people committing suicide and by just getting our potential to also be felt, getting an LGBTIQ community that is able to provide for themselves and improve their livelihoods beyond what might have been marked for them. That's what keeps me going at the end of the day. Do you always knew you were you were gay or, or it happens later? I mean, if I'm overstepping, just let me know and I go back. You know? No, you're, you're, not, you're, not, you're not overstepping at all. Like, funny enough, growing up, this was something we never really spoke about. And, but funny enough, my sisters always, they always used to pass those funny comments that I was sort of queer. But back then, it really didn't mean much to me. I didn't really get it. 
but it was only during the time when I was now in my puberty stages, when I was now in high school. That's when I actually realized that, you know what, I think I actually find the same sex to be more attractive to me. And I actually feel that, okay, I tried to date girls at some point because I was trying to fight it. As I said before, I grew up in a Christian community as well as a Christian home. And by feeling like I was sinning, I always tried to fight it. And I always tried to date girls. But then as I was dating girls, I always felt that this was not me and I wasn't happy. And hence, I remember the last girl that I dated, I actually came out to her and I told her that, you know what, I'm, I'm not into you in that way. I like you more as a friend compared to how I like the next guy. And she also had to deal with, it was quite difficult for her to deal with it. And so, yeah, like eventually I then got to that point whereby I've now accepted myself fully as being Trevor, the gay guy. And I'm proud to even say that I'm Trevor and I'm gay. (laughs) (laughs) How do you come up with the idea to start with this movement, Purple Hand Africa? Okay, so... Okay, this is one of the things that I... I'm not. Re- I don't really like to talk about that. Anyway, <laughs> I'll state it. <laughs> so, I was based in, as I said, I was based in South Africa for some time, and in South Africa, I felt more at home. I felt more accepted, and unfortunately, like there were always other people from my country who were also migrating to South Africa, hoping for a better life. And unfortunately, one of the people that also migrated to South Africa was one of my close friends. But unfortunately, because he didn't really have that, he didn't manage to get a good education before he could migrate. He wasn't able to get even a better job or even to be able to settle in an area whereby he was going to be accepted much better being in South Africa. And unfortunately, he ended up committing suicide. And this was just something that I then told myself that, you know what, enough is enough. Something really needs to change. And hence, it's not going to be changed from living in the diaspora or living in migration, but it's something that needs to be changed back home. And that's how I ended up coming back to Zimbabwe. But also before that, lucky enough, I applied to Kantari. And after I was accepted in Kantari, And I spent the seven months in Kantari. It was quite empowering. And even though it was quite scary and it was, it was quite a scary thought to think that, okay, now I'm going back to Zimbabwe while I've always been living a much better life where people like me are, it's more legal to be myself. And now I'm moving back to a country where I'm not going to be accepted. But through that seven months training that I had, and also being also being able to be in a space whereby I can be able to reflect as well as think about how I'm going to go on with this journey. That was more empowering. And yeah, here I am now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for sharing your story. How many, how many steps do you think we need to take to change the mindsets of society about the LGBTQI community? I cannot talk about it as steps, but maybe I can talk about it as a 360 degrees 10 because there really needs to be a total change in mindset whereby one just gets to understand that, you know what, 
love is just love despite being giving it to someone of the same sex but it's the same love that you're also giving to someone of an opposite sex and at the end of the day we are all humans <laughs> it is much better to love it is much better to love than to hate there is more strength that you get to lose through hating someone for loving someone are you hopeful that lgbtqi rights will be respected in the near future in zimbabwe i am hopeful it is going to be a journey but a journey of a thousand miles starts with the first step and so far i can say we are getting there chevo it was a pleasure having this talk with you thank you thanks a lot <laughs> likewise ampia thank you so much and that's it for today Trevor Molife is the founder of Purple Hand Africa, an organization that supports LGBTQI youth in Zimbabwe through access of psychosocial support, vocational and entrepreneurship skills development. His dream is that LGBTQI youth will be empowered and society will recognize them as contributing citizens. And if you want to be part of his dream, join support the Purple Hand Africa at purplehandafrica.org. Next week in Stick Your Neck Out, the podcast to restore your faith in humanity, I'm going to be talking to Ojok Simon, the founder of Hive Uganda. Ojok is a climate activist, a beekeeper, and he's also blind. Ojok trains blind people to become beekeepers. You'll find the Cantario Giraffe Hero stories every Tuesday on Spotify, iTunes, our homepage, and every other place where you hear your podcast. But you know what? Subscribe the podcast so you don't have to look out for us will be coming to you. And if you'd like to tell us about your frontline hero, just take a visit at giraffe-heroes.eu. My name is Jean-Pierre Aguiar-Durañona, and I hope you join us also in our social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. But more important, I hope you join us again next week. Stick your neck out the weekly podcast of the Giraffe Heroes Foundation.